The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Deanna Stepner, VP for Product Management on Innovative Learning Solutions at Pearson's. Now, Deanna is a product leader who enjoys both building product experiences that customers love, but weaving innovation, experimentation, and technology into actionable product visions and roadmaps that accelerate growth. She's led teams at various different types of organizations and different domains, from being the head of product at Cheap Lights to working at Razorfish, Monster.com, Salesforce, and even Macromedia. She's led teams to help them figure out new products in difficult circumstances with a lot of uncertainty. And for herself, figuring out how to become a product manager was an interesting convergence. Her passion for technology, customer problems, and business needs helped her figure out what she wanted to be, but also find her voice as a leader. I'm one of those product managers who ended up in product management by luck. I started off with a communications degree, which meant I could do everything and nothing. And so I went directly into business school after university to try to provide a bit of focus to what I was going to do. And it really resonated with me. I really liked the collaboration. I loved the debates, the strategy, everybody coming together, you know, talking about a common subject and, you know, trying to figure out what the goal was. And in one of the classes, you know, we had that typical conversation about what is your dream job? What do you want to do? And I said I wanted to combine business and technology. Grew up in Silicon Valley. I knew technology. I loved my business program. So how could I bring them together? And someone behind me said, hey, I work for a company you know, that does that. And so a few twists and turns later, I ended up working at that person's company, as well as diving more into what I could do. How could I bring together business and technology? And so that led me to a degree in human-computer interaction. So combining all the bits and pieces together of my background, I had the business, I had the user experience, I had the love of technology, and that's often how people define product management, and I became a product manager. Well, what I love about that is the convergence piece is kind of interesting, right? I think for many people who find their way into that role, it's often hard to, when you like a lot of things, to just focus on one thing. And yet we often figure out what we want to do as we do things and learn our way through them. It's always nice to hear people's story about how they did that and sort of found that space and moment for them. So for you then, what were some of those maybe unlearning moments for you along the way as you were sort of figuring out what you wanted to be, if you even knew when you grew up? I think as a product manager, you're constantly unlearning. You go into a lot of things with expectations and you find out it, it's not the case. You do rapid tests and you constantly are, are unlearning. So I think that's part of why I love your podcast is there's so many reminders of ways to do things differently or think about things differently. But for me, I think it's been 
finding my voice. There's this perception in, in business often that you need to be the loudest person in the room. You need to be the one that's just dominating conversations. And that's not me. There was an article I was reading recently, and I, I really liked the quote. It's great leaders find a way to listen and ask questions more often than they're talking and giving answers. And I really like that. I mean, I try to speak up and add value. And my style is to, you know, encourage others to contribute, to use why statements, to, you know, try to get to the heart of the problem and to bring people into a conversation while at the same time keeping a conversation on track. And so for me, that unlearning has been, there is this one type of person who must be loud and dominating that didn't resonate with me. And so it, it took me quite some time in my career to get comfortable with that perception not being right. And so trying to find out what would be the best route for myself and then trying to learn behaviors that would enable me to come forward and have my voice and also to encourage others that also were in a similar type of character mindset that they weren't going to hear themselves talk just for the sake of it. So what's amazing about this sort of example is I think that style of leadership has probably been never more important than in the time we are now. And the reason that sort of resonates with me is the COVID crisis is such a great example of that, right? Most businesses have sort of been flipped on their head, the way things would work. Like nobody knows exactly how to solve these problems. Certainly the senior leadership don't have all the answers. And it's often the people closest to the situations, the circumstances that do. One of the Examples that really jump out to me is Alan Mullally, who was the CEO of Ford. And he had this whole principle where when the teams were struggling, he would go and ask questions, really just to listen, and very rarely actually offer direction. It was just more, well, that, thank you for updating me. What decision are you going to make and how can I help you get there? Which sort of goes in the face again of so much of this archetype that we are often you know, inflicted upon that some people think, sadly, is good leadership to be, you know, try to show you're the smartest person in the room, take up all the air in the room, tell people what to do, and which is probably the most disempowering type of leadership I've certainly observed and had experienced onto me, you know, so it's great to hear that that's a voice you found for yourself. And how did you go about doing that? Like, what helped you get comfortable with that approach? Yeah, so for me, it's, I think it's been learning over the years and trying to balance my thinking, intuitive personality. You know, we all took the Myers-Briggs. And so balancing that with the extrovert expectations the world places around us. I don't want to be quiet because I know there are things I want to say. And so I had to figure out an approach that was right for me. And so being able to do so has been a, a learning process in that sense. And it's helped me be more real. And so when something doesn't feel real, I think individuals can sense that. They can tell that you're being fake. And so I started to, you know, do more synthesis of what people are saying, you know, get structured in regards to my approach. You know, I will take notes when people talk. I will use that information to ask questions. And so there's little tricks that I've created for myself to feel more comfortable around speaking up and asking questions. That's really been helpful to cause more dialogue with the folks I work with, the team I lead, because it gives them more comfort to speak up 
even if they you know, aren't one of those people who are truly extroverted. And that's been really helpful. And so some of the things just thinking about changes that I've made is summary statements. I will use visuals trying to pull things together. I always try to encourage people to you know, share their opinion, to ask questions, to put people into a space that they feel safe in and know that they can say what they feel as opposed to what's expected of them. And that often makes individuals feel more comfortable speaking up. Oh, yeah. And this is inspiring to hear people share this. I wish more people sort of showed up and share this type of stuff more often. I think you're spot on, right? And what really resonates here is how you're role modeling this as a way for your team. You're sharing with the team what you naturally are like and what maybe some of the things you maybe think hold you back. And yet you're proactively trying to tackle some of these things, get outside your comfort zone, give the show feedback by even just like writing notes down that you're listening, that you're taking the information in. Like these are powerful cues for people. What were some of the things you sort of tried, things that worked and didn't work along the way as you went, as you sort of figured this out for yourself? Yeah, it's definitely been an experience. So from that perspective, sometimes I will force myself out of my comfort zone faster than I really need to do so. And so I'm one of those people that, you know, when there's an awkward silence on a phone call or on a Zoom chat, you're like, okay, are people still there? What do I need to do? <laughs> and so I will dive in and sometimes quiet, quiet is good. It's okay if no one speaks up because it makes everybody feel a little bit awkward and, and then the conversation often flows. So I've had to stop myself from just diving in. And that's definitely been a little bit tricky, you know, as we're all doing the Zoom calls now. The other piece around it is I will try to sort and synthesize information very quickly. And because of that, I will sometimes leap to conclusions or maybe try to jump to a, a solution. Again, I'm, I'm a product manager and we all have that trait of like, we want to immediately jump to the solution, but we know we shouldn't. And so what I've had to do is take a step back when I, you know, I've got a lot of information that I need to synthesize, to open it up more towards other ways of addressing an approach, think about a more broad perspective, and then evaluate a couple of different opportunities, initially test them out, and then be able to determine what's the right way to proceed. It's funny as I'm listening to you, this notion of the pause sort of just jumps into my head. And it reminds me very much of some of my first times where I was leading teams and maybe someone put an idea out there and this compulsion to like fill the silence with a response, totally guilty of it myself, like just pushing information onto the team. And then when there's no response, just pushing more information onto the team. And it was interesting. I, I was doing this speaking coaching with a, a guy called Jeff Grout. He's phenomenal, really interesting character. He was this person who had a recruitment company and he didn't want to do that anymore. So we got into speaker coaching and, and he ended up finding this niche where he helped uh, lots of Olympic athletes when they had, they'd won Olympics, but they were athletes. They weren't media trained people. And then suddenly they have to make these statements. And he found this great niche where he was helping them. But I always remember one thing he said to me is like the power of pausing is so important. And I was like, why do you mean? Because, well, even when you're talking, pausing 
it makes it easier to hear. When there is a pause, often people are just processing information, like they're just processing what they heard. And not everyone's going to respond in real time to information as it comes in. And it was one of those, for me, a real, I guess, unlearning moment as well, is I need time to think when I'm hearing people talk. So pauses actually are okay. Pauses is just, in many ways, you've got to like make space for them in some respects in communication and not only to let people process, but also, yeah, to let other people fill the space. And I think that's a really kind of interesting thing to think about for me too, as you're sort of sharing that story. Right. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Right. So how did you then start to realize that some of these little tweaks you were making were really starting to have a breakthrough? How did you start to get a sense that they were working for you? Yeah, I remember I was in a training class and we had a session at the, I think it was like the last day, you know, probably lunchtime, that type of thing, where folks were giving feedback on how, you know, we'd all done throughout the week. And someone said, you know, I, I recognize and acknowledge now that the quiet ones have something to say too, and to find ways to encourage people to speak up. That definitely resonated is that Others recognize that you don't have to talk all the time to contribute to, you know, a meeting or a training or a session that by having items brought up at the right point in time is equally or more valuable than just speaking for the sake of it. So in that training session, it definitely resonated. And I think now, especially with a lot of conversations around DE&I as well, that there are different types of voices and folks are recognizing that you should and you need to respect that. And so it's definitely been something in the last, I would, you know, I'd say during 2020, especially that people are being more collaborative and more encouraging and asking people to speak up, looking at conversations differently than they have before. That's been really, really encouraging to me just to see this broader change and how companies are looking at contributions that are made across their business. This is fascinating as well, too. What have you noticed as some of the small changes that are happening maybe in your own organization then? like, What are some of the things you see either, maybe even an organization you were in before, some of the things that you've seen people recognize that they need to unlearn maybe some of these methods that they had used previously. And it, and it is time to adapt, to have more diverse voices, like to even recognize, you know, when you're in a room, is it just 25 white guys standing there just looking at each other, designing uh, <laughs> products for a market that doesn't look anything like them? Or are you seeing people intentionally design not only the teams, but the communications and the collaboration? Like what, what have been some of the insights you've noticed yourself? I think a lot of businesses right now are going through a sense of unlearning, you know, unlearning their, their approach to how they've done work under, you know, unlearning the approach that they've done to hiring and retention, even going to the office to be productive. And so thinking about technology in my background, I've often been the only woman on a project or in a meeting. And so, yeah, you do end up listening to three white guys talking over each other. But I think now companies are looking at 
differences and realizing that diverse representation will give them a broader view, will give them more insight, and will help them see things from a different way that could open up opportunities. And so, you know, I've seen people listen more. I've seen people seek out other opinions more. I've seen people recognize the power of diversity that can be provided. And so I've really been excited about those changes. A lot of companies are publishing dashboards, are also taking action, introducing change. And I think there's support across the board for those changes to stick, especially with the companies that make that effort. I think they'll be the ones who stand out. And so I've been really encouraged by a lot of the dialogue and the changes that have happened. I mean, there's a lot to do, but I think there's been a lot of progress as well. This is sort of top of mind, I think, for everyone. I was very lucky in many ways. Like the last organization I worked in is a company called ThoughtWorks. And one of the pillars of the company was social and economic justice, along with sustainable business and technology excellence. And social justice was a real theme of that company. It wasn't just a word. We really lived it. And one of the things I was always interested by is that we always published our figures about how many people we had hired, male, female, ethnicity, race, different roles. And we made it public. And it was always public. And I still remember at the time, like that was uncomfortable for many people. But for other people, it was just like, actually, that's the way we do it. The interesting thing is ThoughtWorks had the highest percentage of female developers of any company I've ever worked in, 30%, because people were aware of where we were at. And 30% wasn't even good enough. We wanted 50%. Actually, we wanted 51, right? And in true sort of product thinking, if you don't define the outcome, if you don't make the data available, if you don't look at the reality of what's happening and make changes to move towards the direction you want, nothing is going to change. And it might be uncomfortable, it might be difficult, but that was sort of a core premise of the company is that we were going to publish this data. So it's being published, what are you going to do about it? And that was something at the time which almost felt like a norm, but in many ways I feel like how unnorm it was. So I think there's a lot to be said about if we're going to tackle these issues, we can use product thinking methods to do them. So why not do that? But it means we're going to have to have greater transparency and more uncomfortableness about the situation. And I think that's going to be a hard step for many companies to take. It's definitely, it's causing more companies to look internally, maybe acknowledge some things that you know, need to change and obviously unlearn as well. And to approach hiring, retention, all facets of their business differently. It's an exciting time. It's an awkward time. But when change happens, good can result. Looking forward to seeing what happens. So what has maybe some you know, advice that you would give to other leaders maybe who are struggling with this sort of concept of learning and unlearning or in many respects, like finding themselves, and for you, it sounds like your real self, where you're actually comfortable leading in the way that works for you and helps the team. That finding that fit is actually difficult for many people. So maybe you could share a little bit or some advice that you would give others who are sort of curious to go that way, but it seems too uncomfortable for them. 
Yeah. And I would say I'd love advice from others too. (laughs) I think I'm one of those people that I would say expect change. I mean, being in technology, things don't stay the same for very long. And so always be looking out for trends, things that may cause disruption, you know, start to look for those and to, you know, expect change, be flexible. I think that's definitely something I would advise people to do. The other thing is learn from those around you. I mean, find ways to empower those you work with, empower them to speak up. Again, you don't need to be the loudest person in the room or the one doing all the talking to be a leader, succeed. I think it's by the creation of a a space where people feel comfortable to speak up and to share your voice, where you can truly have a tremendous amount of impact. And be the bigger person, not in voice, but in action. So it really comes down to, you can have a true voice by making a space where everyone feels comfortable and can speak up. And from there, the actions that come out of it can be surprising, they can be delightful, and the group will be judged or the individuals will be judged by the outcomes, not just by what they said. And I think that's an amazing place to be. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I think more of these companies are the places that people want to create, I think. And, but it's work, right? It takes effort. And you've got to call out what's going wrong. Like what's there that there are nine men and only one woman in this meeting that everybody looks, acts and talks the same. Why are we so mono in our ethnicity, in our race, and in our people that are in these meetings and works and companies? I think until people are willing to sort of call that out, and recognize and define where they actually need to get to, it's tough. But I think that that's what offers the whole opportunity of movements. That's in many respects for me, some of the highlights of this tough situation we've all been through is that it, it is bringing these conversations to the surface. They're difficult conversations, they're hard conversations. But I think that notion of even starting small becomes even more important, right? Taking the small little steps, just in a meeting, recognizing who's in the room and what are you missing? Just even asking the teams these questions, I think is is really powerful. You know, when you're doing customer research, what type of people have we spoken to? Is it just a very specific monotype of character or have we truly looked at a diverse set of opinions, even making decisions in the company? I think you've got to start taking those little small steps to get there because it's just not going to happen by itself or overnight. And I think there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to you know, a lot of business. And that may have been the case historically, but when I think about the field that I'm in and education and learning, there is no one type of learner. We're all learning at all stages, at all grades, et cetera. And so thinking more broadly about your audience in a way that you probably hadn't before is new for a lot of people. And in order to have a better representation, it requires more voices. And yeah, some of those voices just require a little bit of encouragement. Some of those voices require a different type of a push to share their views, but all the voices are equally important. That's awesome. So looking ahead then, what are some of the things you're sort of excited about either in your field or You have a very broad interest field of technology and customer and business. What are some of the things that you're looking ahead to with excitement you're curious to sort of explore? 
I'm trying to find good in all the things that are happening around us right now. And so from a product perspective, what's been really interesting is the acceleration of some of the trends. Again, from my business perspective, things that we were expecting to happen five years from now are happening today. And so we've had to react quite quickly, react in a different manner to these trends that we thought would have more time to evolve. That's been fascinating just to be able to pivot that quickly and be able to explore opportunities in a much quicker time frame than we had expected. I also think it's been really exciting to see the encouragement of experimentation because of the trends being you know, here faster than previously thought. There's the desire to test more and to gain more insight, more data now more rapidly so that we can determine or help to determine what the future might be. And so I've been excited by this rapid realization of these trends, but also the desire then to quickly iterate and build upon the new information that's come forth. It resonates a lot. You know, I feel like I've been saying this notion, we've traveled 10 years in remote work in the last 10 weeks. It, it literally feels like we've made that much of a shift because everyone's going through this situation together, right? Like there is no blueprint. There is no mat. There's a lot to be said as you're suggesting that it's sort of given people agency to experiment. We're all learning as we go. No, no one knows the answer. And yet like so much of building products is that's daily life is no one knows the answer. And yet we have this convoluted experience that someone must know the answer Oh, the manager must know the answer. So tell everyone the answer manager. I think there's a lot to be said from those notions to like really extrapolate them forward and say so much of our work is uncertainty based. No one knows all the answers. Questions to your point, I think are the most powerful tool we have in that scenario. And learning our way through together, I think is an iterating, experimenting, as you say, I think is, is the way to get there. So I'm pretty excited to hopefully see that this sticks. Is there anything you're going to try and do or in your company you think to make this a sustainable behavior rather than a sort of a response to a situation, but then slowly it slip back to the way things used to be? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting for companies in general to evaluate where people need to be. My company just was sharing information that they'll reevaluate whether we go back to the office on December 1st. And people have recognized that we can be productive at home. We can be productive outside of the workplace. It does obviously have a lot of different challenges, juggling family and just workspaces, et cetera. But as long as you can find time, carve out time to step away from the screen, there are benefits too that enable people in all diverse parts of the world to come together in a common place, common place in the sense being virtual and have equal contributions. You don't need to be in an office to have that presence. And I think that's been really powerful and I'm hoping companies continue with that type of normalization around where you have to be to be able to be a contributor. I'm excited to see not only where you go with this work, especially in the education and learning domain. I think it's super exciting about maybe even the possibilities of how you can open up and access and reach so many more people rather than 
with the digital remote ways of working. So I'm pretty excited to see what you do in the weeks and years ahead. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing some of your stories with us. It's been great to have you. Thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it.